Section four of the Coquette. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Coquette or The History of Eliza Wharton by Hannah Webster Foster. Section four. Letter twenty four to the Reverend J. Boyer, New Haven i resume my pen having just returned from general richmond's not with an expectation however of your reading this till you have perused and reperused the enclosed i can bear such neglect in this case as i have been alike interested myself i went to general richmond's at twelve o'clock about a mile from thence upon turning a corner i observed a gentleman and lady on horseback some way before me riding at a very moderate pace and seemingly in close conversation i kept at the same distance from them till i saw them stop at the general's gate i then put on and coming up with them just as they alighted was surprised to find them no other than major sanford and miss wharton they were both a little disconcerted at my salutation i know not why miss wharton invited him in but he declined being engaged to dine general richmond received us at the door as i handed miss wharton in he observed jocosely that she had changed company yes sir she replied more than once since i went out as you doubtless observed i was not aware said mrs richmond that major sanford was to be of your party to-day it was quite accidental madam said miss wharton miss lawrence and i had agreed last evening to take a little airing this forenoon a young gentleman a relation of hers who is making them a visit was to attend us we had not rowed more than two miles when we were overtaken by major sanford who very politely asked leave to join our party miss lawrence very readily consented and we had a very sociable ride the fineness of the day induced me to protract the enjoyment of it abroad but miss lawrence declined riding so far as i proposed as she had engaged company to dine we therefore parted till the evening when we are to meet again what another engagement said mrs richmond only to the assembly madam may i inquire after your gallant my dear but i have no right perhaps to be inquisitive said mrs richmond miss wharton made no reply and the conversation took a general turn miss wharton sustained her part with great propriety indeed she discovers a fund of useful knowledge and extensive reading which render her peculiarly entertaining while the brilliancy of her wit the fluency of her language the vivacity and ease of her manners are inexpressibly engaging i am going myself to the assembly this evening though i did not mention it to general richmond I therefore took my leave soon after dinner i have heard so much in praise of miss wharton's penmanship in addition to her other endowments that i am almost tempted to break the seal of her letter to you but i forbear wishing you much happiness in the perusal of it and more in the possession of its writer i subscribe myself yours etc t selby letter twenty five to the reverend j boyer new haven sir 
your favour on the fourth instant came to hand yesterday i received it with pleasure and embraced this early opportunity of, of contributing my part to a correspondence tending to promote a friendly and social intercourse an epistolary communication between the sexes has been with some a subject of satire and censure but unjustly in my opinion with persons of refinement and information it may be a source of entertainment and utility the knowledge and masculine virtues of your sex may be softened and rendered more diffusive by the inquisitiveness vivacity and docility of ours drawn forth and exercised by each other in regard to the particular subject of yours i shall be silent ideas of that kind are better conveyed on my part by words than by pen i congratulate you on your agreeable settlement and hope it will be productive of real and lasting happiness i am convinced that felicity is not confined to any particular station or condition in life yet methinks some are better calculated to afford it to me than others your extract from a favourite poet is charmingly descriptive but is it not difficult to ascertain what we can pronounce an elegant sufficiency perhaps you will answer as some others have done we can attain it by circumscribing our wishes within the compass of our abilities i am not very avaricious yet i must own that i should like to enjoy it without so much trouble as that would cost me excuse my seeming levity you have flattered my cheerfulness by commending it and must therefore indulge me in the exercise of it i cannot conveniently be at the pains of restraining its sallies when i write in confidence is a sprightly disposition in your view indicative of a giddy mind or an innocent heart of the latter i presume for i know you are not a misanthrope we expect the pleasure of mr selby's company to dinner you are certainly under obligations to his friendship for the liberal encomiums he bestowed on you and your prospects yesterday mrs richmond rallied me after he was gone on my listening ear the general and she unite in requesting me to present their respects wishing you health and happiness i subscribe myself your friend eliza wharton letter twenty six to miss lucy freeman new haven i am perplexed and embarrassed my friend by the assiduous attentions to this major sanford i shall write circumstantially and frankly to you that i may have the benefit of your advice he came here last monday in company with mr lawrence his wife and daughter to make us a visit while they were present a mr selby a particular friend of mr boyer came in and delivered me a letter from him i was really happy in this proof of his affection his friend gave a very flattering account of his situation and prospects the watchful eye of major sanford traced every word and action respecting mr boyer with an attention which seemed to border on anxiety that however did not restrain but rather accelerated my vivacity and inquisitiveness on the subject for i wished to know whether it would produce any real effect upon him or not after mr selby's departure he appeared pensive and thoughtful the remainder of the evening and evidently sought an opportunity of speaking to me aside which i studiously avoided miss lawrence and i 
formed an engagement to take an airing in the morning on horseback attended by a relation of hers who is now with them they called for me about ten when we immediately set out upon our preconcerted excursion we had not proceeded far before we were met by major sanford he was extremely polite and finding our destination was not particular begged leave to join our party this was granted and we had an agreeable tour for several miles the time being passed in easy and unstudied remarks upon obvious occurrences major sanford could not however conceal his particular attention to me which rather nettled miss lawrence she grew somewhat serious and declined riding as far as we had intended alleging that she expected company to dine major sanford understanding that she was going to the assembly in the evening with mr gordon solicited me to accept a ticket and form a party with them the entertainment was alluring and i consented when we had parted with miss lawrence major sanford insisted on my riding a little farther saying he must converse with me on a particular subject and if i refused him this opportunity that he must visit me at my residence let it offend whom it would i yielded to his importunity and we rode on he then told me that his mind was in a state of suspense and agitation which was very painful to bear and which i only could relieve that my cheerful reception of mr boer's letter yesterday and deportment respecting him had awakened in his breast all the pangs of jealousy which the most ardent love could feel that my treatment of mr boyer's friend convinced him that i was more interested in his affairs than i was willing to own that he foresaw himself to be condemned to an eternal separation and the total loss of my favour and society as soon as time and circumstances would allow his zeal his pathos alarmed me i begged him to be calm to you said i as a friend i have entrusted my situation in relation to mr boyer you know that i am under no special obligation to him and i do not intend to form any immediate connection mr boyer must have different ideas madam and he has reason for them if i may judge by appearances when do you expect another visit from him in about a fortnight and is my fate to be then decided and so decided as i fear it will be through the influence of your friends if not by your own inclination my friends sir will not control they will only advise to what they think most for my interest and i hope that my conduct will not be unworthy of their approbation pardon me my dear eliza said he if i am impertinent it is my regard for you which impels me to the presumption do you intend to give your hand to mr boyer i do not intend to give my hand to any man at present i have but lately entered society and wish for a while to enjoy my freedom in the participation of pleasures suited to my age and sex these said he you are aware i suppose when you form a connection with that man you must renounce and content yourself with a confinement to the tedious round of domestic duties the pedantic conversation of scholars and the invidious criticisms of a whole town i have been accustomed said i and am therefore attached to men of letters and as to the praise or censure of the populace i hope always to enjoy that approbation 
of conscience which will render me superior to both but you forget your promise not to talk in this style and have deviated far from the character of a friend and brother with which you consented to rest satisfied yes but i find myself unequal to the task i am not stoic enough tamely to make so great a sacrifice i must plead for an interest in your favour till you banish me from your presence and tell me plainly that you hate me we had by this time reached the gate and as we dismounted were unexpectedly accosted by mr selby who had come agreeably to promise to dine with us and receive my letter to mr boyer major sandford took his leave as general richmond appeared at the door the general and his lady rallied me on my change of company but very prudently concealed their sentiments of major sandford while mr selby was present nothing material occurred before and during dinner soon after which mr selby went away i retired to dress for the assembly and had nearly completed the labour of the toilet when mrs richmond entered my friendship for you my dear eliza said she interests me so much in your affairs that i cannot repress my curiosity to know who has the honour of your hand this evening if it be any honour said i it will be conferred on major sanford i think it far too great to be thus bestowed returned she it is perfectly astonishing to me that the virtuous part of my sex will countenance caress and encourage those men whose profession it is to blast their reputation destroy their peace and triumph in their infamy is this madam the avowed design of major sanford i know not what he avows but his practice too plainly bespeaks his principles and views does he now practise the arts you mention or do you refer to past follies i cannot answer for his present conduct his past has established his character you madam are an advocate for charity that perhaps if exercised in this instance might lead you to think it possible for him to reform to become a valuable member of society and when connected with a lady of virtue and refinement to be capable of making a good husband i cannot conceive that such a lady will be willing to risk her all upon the slender prospect of his reformation i hope the one with whom i am conversing has no inclination to so hazardous an experiment why not much not much if you have any why do you continue to encourage mr boyer's addresses i am not sufficiently acquainted with either yet to determine which to take at present i shall not confine myself in any way in regard to these men my fancy and my judgment are in scales sometimes one preponderates sometimes the other which will finally prevail time alone can reveal oh my cousin beware of the delusions of fancy reason must be our guide if we would expect durable happiness at this instant a servant opened the door and told me that major sanford waited in the parlour being ready i wished mrs richmond a good evening and went down neither general richmond nor his lady appeared he therefore handed me immediately into his phaeton and we were soon in the assembly room 
i was surprised on my entrance to find mr selby there as he did not mention at dinner his intention of going he attached himself to our party and in the intervals of dancing took every opportunity of conversing with me these however were not many for major sandford assiduously precluded the possibility of my being much engaged by any one else we passed the evening very agreeably but the major's importunity was rather troublesome as we returned home he insisted upon my declaring whether mr boyer really possessed my affections and whether i intended to confer myself on him or not if said he you answer me in the affirmative i must despair but if you have not absolutely decided against me i will still hope that my persevering assiduity my faithful love may at last be rewarded i told him that i was under no obligation to give him any account of my disposition towards another and that he must remember the terms of our present association to which he had subscribed i therefore begged him to waive the subject now if not for ever he asked my pardon if he had been impertinent but desired leave to renew his request that i would receive his visit his friendly visit i replied that i could not grant this and that he must blame himself not me if he was an unwelcome guest at general richmond's he lamented the prejudices which my friends had imbibed against him but flattered himself that i was more liberal than to be influenced by them without any positive proof of demerit as it was impossible that his conduct towards me should ever deviate from the strictest rules of honour and love what shall i say now my friend this man to an agreeable person has superadded graceful manners an amiable temper and a fortune sufficient to ensure the enjoyments of all the pleasing varieties of social life perhaps a gay disposition and a lax education may have betrayed him into some scenes of dissipation but is it not an adage generally received that a reformed rake makes the best husband my fancy leads me for happiness to the festive haunts of fashionable life i am at present and know not but i ever shall be too volatile for a confinement to domestic avocations and sedentary pleasures i dare not therefore place myself in a situation where these must be indispensable mr boyer's person and character are agreeable i really esteem the man my reason and judgment as i have observed before declare for a connection with him as a state of tranquillity and rational happiness but the idea of relinquishing those delightful amusements and flattering attentions which wealth and equipage bestow is painful why were not the virtues of the one and the graces and affluence of the other combined i should then have been happy indeed but as the case now stands i am loath to give up either being doubtful which will conduce most to my felicity please write me impartially let me know your real sentiments for i rely greatly upon your opinion i am etc eliza wharton letter twenty seven to the reverend mr boyer new haven i am quite a convert to pope's assertion that every woman is at heart a rake how else can we account for the pleasure 
which they evidently receive from the society, the flattery, the caresses of men of that character. Even the most virtuous of them seem naturally prone to gaiety, to pleasure, and, I had almost said, to dissipation. How else shall we account for the existence of this disposition in your favourite fair? It cannot be the result of her education. Such a one as she has received is calculated to give her a very different turn of mind. You must forgive me, my friend, for I am a little vexed and alarmed on your account. I went last evening to the assembly, as I told you in my last that I intended. I was purposely without a partner, that I might have the liberty to exercise my gallantries, as circumstances should invite. Indeed, I must own that my particular design was to observe Miss Wharton's movements, being rather inclined to jealousy in your behalf. She was handed into the assembly room by Major Sanford. The brilliance of their appearance, the levity of their manners, and the contrast of their characters I found to be a general subject of speculation. I endeavoured to associate with Miss Wharton, but found it impossible to detach her for a moment from the coxcomb who attended her. If she has any idea of a connection with you, why does she continue to associate with another, especially with one of so opposite a description? I am seriously afraid that there is more intimacy between them than there ought to be, considering the encouragement she has given you. I hope you will not be offended at my freedom in this matter. It originates in a concern for your honour and future happiness. I am anxious lest you should be made the dupe of a coquette, and your peace of mind fall a sacrifice to an artful debauchee. Yet I must believe that Miss Wharton has, in reality, all that virtue and good sense of which she enjoys the reputation, but her present conduct is mysterious. I have said enough, more than I ought, perhaps, to awaken your attention to circumstances which may lead to important events. If they appear of little or no consequence to you, you will at least ascribe the mention of them to motives of sincere regard in your friend and humble servant, T. Selby. Letter 28 to Mr. Charles Dayton, New Haven. I go on finally with my amour. I have every encouragement that I could wish. Indeed, my fair one does not verbally declare in my favour, but then according to the vulgar proverb that actions speak louder than words i have no reason to complain since she evidently approves my gallantry is pleased with my company and listens to my flattery her sagacious friends have undoubtedly given her a detail of my vices if therefore my past conduct has been repugnant to her notions of propriety why does she not act consistently and refuse at once to associate with a man whose character she cannot esteem but no that charles is no part of the female plan our entrapping a few of their sex only discovers the gaiety of our dispositions the insinuating graces of our manners the irresistible charms of our persons and address these qualifications are very alluring to the sprightly fancy of the fair they think to enjoy the pleasures which result from this source, while their vanity and ignorance prompt each one to imagine herself superior to delusion, and to anticipate the honour of reclaiming the libertine 
and reforming the race. I don't know, however, but this girl will really have that merit with me, for I am so much attached to her that I begin to suspect I should sooner become a convert to sobriety than lose her. I cannot find that I have made much impression on her heart as yet. Want of success in this point mortifies me extremely, as it is the first time I ever failed. Besides, I am apprehensive that she is prepossessed in favour of the other swain, the clerical lover, whom I have mentioned to you before. The chord, therefore, upon which I play the most is the dissimilarity of their dispositions and pleasures. I endeavour to detach her from him and disaffect her towards him, knowing that, if I can separate them entirely, I shall be more likely to succeed in my plan. Not that I have any thoughts of marrying her myself, that will not do at present, but I love her too well to see her connected with another for life. I must own myself a little revengeful, too, in this affair. I wish to punish her friends, as she calls them, for their malice towards me, for their cold and negligent treatment of me, whenever I go to the house. I know that to frustrate their designs of a connection between Mr. Boyer and Eliza would be a grievous disappointment. I have not yet determined to seduce her, though, with all her pretensions to virtue, I do not think it impossible and if I should, she can blame none but herself, since she knows my character and has no reason to wonder if I act consistently with it. If she will play with a lion, let her beware of his paw, I say. At present, I wish innocently to enjoy her society. It is a luxury which I never tasted before. She is the very soul of pleasure. The gayest circle is irradiated by her presence, and the highest entertainment receives its greatest charms from her smiles. Besides, I have purchased the seat of Captain Pribble, about a mile from her mother's, and can I think of suffering her to leave the neighbourhood just as I enter it? I shall exert every nerve to prevent that, and hope to meet with the usual success of Peter Sanford. Letter 29 to Miss Eliza Wharton, Hartford you desire me to write you, my friend, but if you had not, I should by no means have refrained. I tremble at the precipice on which you stand, and must echo and re-echo the seasonable admonition of the excellent Mrs. Richmond, beware of the delusions of fancy. You are strangely infatuated by them. Let not the magic arts of that worthless Stanford lead you, like the ignis fatuous, from the path of rectitude and virtue. I do not find in all your conversations with him that one word about marriage drops from his lips. This is mysterious. No, it is characteristic of the man. Suppose, however, that his views are honourable. Yet what can you expect? What can you promise yourself from such a connection? A reformed rake, you say, makes the best husband. A trite but a very erroneous maxim as the fatal experience of thousands of our sex can testify. In the first place, I believe that rakes very seldom do reform, while their fortunes and constitutions enable them to pursue their licentious pleasures. But even allowing this to happen, can a woman of refinement and delicacy enjoy the society of a man whose mind has been corrupted, whose taste has been vitiated, and who has contracted a depravity 
both of sentiment and manners which no degree of repentance can wholly efface besides of true love they are absolutely incapable their passions have been much too hackneyed to admit so pure a flame you cannot anticipate sincere and lasting respect from them they have been so long accustomed to the company of those of our sex who deserve no esteem that the greatest dignity and purity of character can never excite it in their breasts they are naturally prone to jealousy habituated to an intercourse with the baser part of the sex they level the whole and seldom believe any to be incorruptible they are always hard-hearted and cruel how else could they triumph in the miseries which they frequently occasion their specious manners may render them agreeable companions abroad but at home the evil propensities of their minds will invariably predominate they are steeled against the tender affections which render domestic life delightful strangers to the kind the endearing sympathies of husband father and friend the thousand nameless attentions which soften the rugged path of life are neglected and deemed unworthy of notice by persons who have been inured to scenes of dissipation and debauchery and is a man of this description to be the partner the companion the bosom friend of my eliza forbid it heaven let not the noble qualities so lavishly bestowed upon her be thus unworthily sacrificed you seem to be particularly charmed with the fortune of major sanford with the gaiety of his appearance with the splendour of his equipage with the politeness of his manners with what you call the graces of his person these alas are superficial ensnaring endowments as to fortune prudence economy and regularity are necessary to preserve it when possessed of these major sanford is certainly destitute unless common fame which more frequently tells the truth than some are willing to allow does him great injustice as to external parade it will not satisfy the rational mind when it aspires to those substantial pleasures for which yours is formed and as to the graces of person and manners they are but a wretched substitute for those virtues which adorn and dignify human life can you who have always been used to serenity and order in a family to rational refined and improving conversation relinquish them and launch into the whirlpool of frivolity where the correct taste and the delicate sensibility which you possess must constantly be wounded by the frothy and illiberal sallies of licentious wit this my dear is but a faint picture of the situation to which you seem inclined reverse the scene and you will perceive the alternative which is submitted to your option in a virtuous connection with mr boyer remember that you are acting for life and that your happiness in this world perhaps in the next depends on your present choice i called last evening to see your mamma she is fondly anticipating your return and rejoicing in the prospect of your agreeable and speedy settlement i could not find it in my heart to distress her by intimating that you had other views i wish her benevolent bosom never more to feel the pangs of disappointed hope i am busily engaged in preparing for my nuptials 
the solemn words as long as ye both shall live render me thoughtful and serious i hope for your enlivening presence soon which will prove a seasonable cordial to the spirits of your lucy freeman End of section four